I want to honestly admit that I believe with my whole heart that this sermon will not, at this moment, apply to everyone in this room. I do, however, encourage you to kind of take the Word of God tonight and stash it in your heart because no doubt every single person at one point in the near future, most likely, will have to deal with what we talk about tonight. And I want to preface the message by saying, I'm trying my very best, and I've asked the Lord to allow me to preach it with a great deal of understanding, um, and I hope that is conveyed. I've asked the Lord to kind of help me preach it from a point of non-criticism, but encouragement. And I want to say that, first of all, because I don't want you to think that I'm just bringing down or bringing people down with the message tonight. So I hope that the Lord will do that. I've prayed as such and the Lord's good about answering prayer to an undeserving prayer. So uh, I expect him to do that tonight. Ruth chapter number one, verse number one, the Bible says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left. Her and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she, had heard in the, uh, uh, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi, now that's the mother-in-law of these two girls, and Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if if I should have an husband also tonight and, uh, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. 
And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Father, we ask tonight that you would do a work in our hearts. I pray that you would meet with us in this time of worship, in this time of preaching. Lord, I pray that you would open up hearts, that they would be receptive to the message, as every person in here uh, should see this sermon at some point applicable in their lives. I pray tonight that you would just open up hearts in a way that I cannot, that you would use the Word of God to be quick and powerful as you have promised it will be, and we'll give you all the praise and glory for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now sometimes in life, when you face difficult times or, or catastrophe strikes, it is very difficult to make the right choices. When everything's overwhelmed, uh, overwhelming you and it feels like uh, everything is going against you, many times our emotions uh, uh, get the best of us and our logic seems to leave us. Uh, we don't think as our normal self would. We, we almost uh, rebuff when our friends give us advice or try to show some level of encouragement. We almost shut down to a point and we make very poor choices immediately following a catastrophe in our life. Now many, many sermons have been preached in my lifetime about how to deal with controversy. How to deal with catastrophe in our lives. And most sermons somewhat sound like this. Have faith in the Lord. Trust that His hand will lead you through. And while that is a very great promise of the Bible, and I believe there are many great passages that teach us that lesson, tonight I want to get on a very logical and real level with you. I want to help you understand that we are at best still just people. We suffer. We struggle. Life is real, and sometimes life hits you really hard. And as many preachers have preached the sermons, have faith and get through it, sometimes taking a faith pill just doesn't seem to do it. And you try searching Scripture, you try uh, uh, praying to ask the Lord for some level of, a level of relief or, or some help and encouragement, and you, you try exercising as much faith as you can at that time, but honestly, it feels like every decision you make leads you deeper and deeper into a hole you cannot escape from. So tonight I want to speak to you on the steps that we should not take immediately following tragedy in our lives. Now I'm not talking about how to handle the tragedy because that's a whole other uh, sermon series, okay? I'm talking about what you should not do immediately following difficult times in your lives. Now tonight, I've, uh, I would like to say I've prepared for you a video presentation. I will, however, say I just stole this, and I think you'll understand that, uh, what I did. Most of you may have already seen this, but I think it's a, a great thing for us to see tonight. So if we will, uh, direct your attention to the video screens. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. That's what you do. I'm being quiet. Breathing on me. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Yeah, that's the way it feels sometimes. Have you ever been watching a horror movie? And I can't stand them because I'm a scaredy cat. I'll fully well admit that right now. 
But have you ever been watching something you're like, no, don't go in the dark alley. Don't go in the dark alley. Don't, don't, don't go there. You can see a shadow. Don't look behind the curtain. And you're, you're cheering for the person not to make a terrible mistake. So tonight, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to cheer for you that you not make a terrible mistake immediately following tragedy. First of all, I want to share with you out of our passage tonight, in verse number 8, that we cannot choose to depart from beneficial influences. Verse number 8, the Bible says this, uh, immediately following uh, this uh, woman who has had her husband die, now both of her sons have died, Uh, She's in a foreign land. Life has gotten very difficult. Verse number 8 says, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. She says to the only people in the world that at this point care about her, How about you just leave me alone? How about you just stay and you just worry about yourself? You deal with it how you deal with it, and I'll deal with it how I deal with it. You go home, and I'll just figure it out on my own. And oftentimes that's what we do, is it not? We have a tragedy occur in our life, and we almost pull ourselves away from every beneficial influence in our life. How many times have you seen in your life somebody who is going through a hard time, and one of their first reactions is to leave church altogether? Now sometimes hearing sermons uh, about faith is not an easy thing to do when you need faith. Sometimes hearing that God has a sovereign plan for your life and He's going to do something great with your life, sometimes that message is not easily received when you're in the middle of a tragedy. And yet so oftentimes we remove those beneficial influences from our life. We first of all remove from company. And a lot of times we don't like to speak on taboo things in church, but I do believe that there are some depressions that are very real. Sometimes it is much easier to find a dark room than it is to go out in the daylight. And you would almost rather just tell all of your friends and all those people that come by and say, hey, thanks, Uh, uh, we're really praying for you, we know you're going through it. Sometimes you just want to tell them, how about you take a hike? And you want to say it in Christian love. But it's sometimes very hard. And so what we do is we become hermits almost. And instead of reaching out for help, we shut down to any help that is offered to us. That's our tendency is to retreat and to uh, find solace alone. But you'll never find answers within yourself. The Bible tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You are limited to your own realm of experiences, and most of the time when you face a catastrophe in your life, you have no experience with that. And so instead of shutting down, what we ought to do is find company. We ought to find people who can help us, find people that understand. And I'm not talking about go to uh, every uh, uh, person willing to give advice, because in your catastrophe, there will be uh, many experts along the road. Everybody will have gone through exactly what you're going through, but yours is less bad because theirs was much worse. And I'm not talking about those people. But it's very easy to shut down to anybody who could ever offer and say, look, I'm not comparing our situations, but I will say, I've gone through something similar, and it's hard right now, but when you get on the backside of this thing, God will provide. 
God has a plan, and though it's very difficult to see now, God can help you through this. But instead of shutting down to that advice, maybe we look at the person offering the advice, understand if it's biblical advice, and then freely accept it if it truly is. Uh, Genesis chapter number 2, after God created all the world, everything there is, everything we know, He looked on His creation and He said, it is good. The Bible tells us in verse number 18, there was one problem with this creation. That Adam was alone. And what was his words? It is not good for a man to be alone. Then how, how foolish is it when we go through our tragedy to go find a dark room somewhere and just say, well, I'll get through this. No! God even proclaimed at the very beginning of His Word that it was never good for men to be alone. And so He created a helpmeet, someone to get, uh, lift you up. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. The Bible goes on to say, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Boy, I want somebody in my life that can pick me up when I'm down. I want somebody there that when they see me struggling through my tragedy or struggling through my controversy, they do not say, oh, he's a lost cause. But they say, I will go out of my way to help my friend. And that's the type of people you need to surround yourself with. And, and you need to, instead of removing from company, find good company to get in. The Bible uh, says here that we should also... Uh, not remove those who contribute to us. Verse number 8, the Bible says, and she fully well admits this. Now notice, Naomi fully well admits that they have been very helpful during this time of tragedy and loss. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. Now notice, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Even Naomi admits it. You've been, a, 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 to some degree, a help to me. You've helped me, you've encouraged me, but I still am going to ask you to just leave me alone. And I'll tell you this, what's the most difficult thing in your tragedy is accept people's help who are willing to help. It's when uh, you have a loss in your family and someone from the church calls you up and says, can we just cook y'all supper one night? It just, just something very small to lighten the load and, and maybe just take something off your plate. And you know what your automatic response is? Well, this is mine. Bring it on! But, but oftentimes what our response is, is this. No, we're doing just fine. No, we don't, we don't want to put you out. We don't want to cause a problem. You know, there's people with much larger problems than me. So basically we, in essence, say... Give your charity to someone else. But that is not at all a biblical concept of a fellowship and a church loving one another and helping one another through problems. You know what I've noticed in my very limited ministry experience? Everybody thinks that someone else has a bigger problem than them. And what we do is we compare our problems with other people's problems. And we say, well, I've got a little problem, but they've got a really big problem. But in your realm of experience... Your big problem may seem little compared to others, but if it's a big problem to you, it's a problem you're probably not going to get through alone. 
So instead of, of rejecting people's help, and instead of rejecting those who might be able to lighten the load during a tragedy, maybe you have to swallow your pride and say, you know what? I would really appreciate just a hug. Just a, not, not men and women, let's clear that up. If you hug my wife, I'll punch you right in the face. But uh, uh, <laughs> maybe sometimes, instead of allowing our pride to say, there's people with larger problems, maybe we should just say, yeah, that would really help a lot. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I believe this is a biblical concept of marriage. I also believe it's a biblical concept of the type of love our church ought to have for one another. Charity suffereth long. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, it is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It beareth all things, it believeth all things, and hopeth all things, endureth all things. If someone has a genuine charity for you, and by charity we've skewed that word, but it's truly a genuine love to help you, it is not doing it selfishly. Someone with genuine Christ-honoring love is not trying to hold a rain check over your head for their rainy day. Genuine Christ-like love and compassion is, Kevin, you, I know you've had a hard time, so I just want to do something for you out of the kindness of my heart, just because we're brethren in Christ, just because I love you. And I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not trying to uh, do anything to make you feel bad, like, oh, you can't make it up through on your own. I'm sure you could, but I'm just trying to help during this time of struggle. And that's a biblical concept of love. And I believe that's the type of love our church ought to have for one another. I'll tell you what, it's a lonely time when you're standing by the casket of someone you love. But when there's 200, 300 people there saying, if I can do anything... And I'm not just saying this for lip service. I'm not just saying these empty words. I mean if I can do anything. If you need a plane ticket, my personal checking account will pay for it. If you need some transportation, I will do that. Whatever you need in this time, I will go out of my way to help you. And that's the type of love that we ought to be looking for and reaching out for if others are offering it. So, one choice we often make that is a terrible decision is we choose to depart from all beneficial uh, influences in our life. Secondly, we not only choose to depart from all beneficial influences, we also uh, become depressive on our outlook of life. We become depressive almost in our outlook. Verse number 11 of our uh, passage tonight says this, And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Art there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should uh, also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Do you sense the almost hopeless tone in her voice? She's saying, I just, I can't. I can't figure out a solution where you and I can, can work this out together. And what happens is, she begins to see more problems than positives in her life. She, she's having difficulty putting the pieces of her puzzle together, so she's just kind of given up altogether. It's a shame, but oftentimes, Christians, we try figuring it out. 
And, and, and we kind of come to the end of our knowledge, and we come to the end of our rope, and we just say, I cannot figure out a solution. So I, I guess I'm just going to just, just go into a hole somewhere and just kind of, I'm, I'm not going to be able to recover from this. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say that we should just kind of give up on life when times get hard. No, the Bible says we have faith in our God. The Bible says we have fellowship with our brethren. And with all that God has equipped us with through His Word and through His Holy Spirit, letting you know that you are a child of God, you can make it through any valley no matter how deep, and you will climb to the summit of that mountain no matter how high it is. That's what the Lord provides for us. I was reading today, and according to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, a seven block radius cloud of fog that towers a hundred feet high only consists of one glass of water. Now, it's seven blocks, seven city blocks, a hundred feet wide, and you walk through it and you feel the moisture in the air, and yet it only consists of one glass of water. But when that water is divided up into 60 billion particles, that one little problem becomes a much bigger issue, does it not? And what happens in our tragedies and in our catastrophes, what takes place is our one little problem begins to cloud every other area of our life. When uh, things are not good at the job, we come home and things are not good at home. And things are not good at home, things were not good at the church because the preacher's message didn't really apply to me tonight. And what takes place is our one little problem in this one little isolated uh, area of our life, whether it's family, whether it's uh, occupational, whatever it is, it begins to cloud everything. And now we just have more problems than we even have positives in our life. But man, if you've got God in your life, and Jesus still loves you as His Word endlessly proclaims, man, we've got a lot going for us. It's amazing how many Christians cannot muster up just one little grin. Man, we ought to be the happiest of people if Jesus is on our side. That's why the Bible says things like, if God be for us, almost with a, a joyous, a exuberant tone, if God be for us, who can be against us? Man, and with all that going for us, man, we oftentimes uh, begin to view our problems as if they outweigh the positives, but the hymn writer said, oh, just sit down one day and count your many blessings. Just, just, just sit down to number them. Count your blessings and you'll see what God has done in your life. Oh, but we focus on the problem and we fail to see the positives of life. Not only that, but we begin to see more snares than we see solutions. We as humans like to fix things. I remember a while back, I tried fixing an iPhone and I got it all back together and I realized I had many more parts than, uh, uh, on my hands than I had before I started to fix it. We as humans try to fix things with, with every, with, whether we reach out to experts or whether we try Googling it or YouTubing it or heavens forbid you look on Facebook for the answer, but, but whatever it is, we like fixing things. And so when our tragedy strikes, you know what the temptation is? Oh, I can, I can figure it out. I can make it work, and, uh, and, and I really won't have to share this with anybody. I'll just, I'll just fix it myself. 
The Bible says time and time again, lean not unto your own understanding. Woe unto him that thinketh he standeth alone. For uh, he that thinketh he standeth, uh, take heed lest he fall, the Bible says. We ought not always try fixing things ourselves. We ought to be open to advice, but we also ought to allow God to fix things. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, the Bible says. So, in our trial and in our tragedy, don't always try fixing yourself, but trust in the Lord, for He has a great answer for you. It's a a, a shame when we begin to, in our realm of experience, to begin to piece things together. Really and truly, the answers are always in God's Word. The Bible says, and the reason God put these verses in there was for the seeker who needed just a dose of a little pick-me-up. The Bible says in Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that, uh, that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Psalm 37 verse number 23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and He delighteth in His way. When you get down and you cannot fix your problem, you know who you ought to look to? The one who says, I've got it all worked out. Just trust in me. Oh, we began to fix our... We, we look for solutions, and that's what Naomi was doing. Even if I found a husband this evening, it wouldn't work out. And she had thought through all the examples of how her solutions would fail. But as we know the end of Ruth's story, God did have a greater plan in play here. So, not only do we remove beneficial influences from our life, we begin to have a depressive outlook on life. Then thirdly, and we're done, we begin to definitively point our fingers. Look here in verse number 13. Would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughter, for it grieveth me much for your sakes. Now notice, don't miss this, folks. That the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. You know what her first reaction was to do? Look to God and say, God, I can't believe you put me in this problem. Now, I don't know why I've tried being the person I should be. I've tried being the Christian. I mean, I was submitting to my husband. I was loving my husband. and, And I look at my life and now it's just in shambles. And I can't believe God has turned His back on me. And before you sit on your throne of, uh, of faith and judge others for having that thought, sometimes in your tragedy, when you have the blinders of, of pain and hurt on, it's hard to see that God is on your team. But the Bible tells us He is, and so she looks and she says, I just can't believe God has turned His, His hand upon me. Verse number 20 The Bible says, and she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Now notice, she's not changed her tune even later in the chapter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And here's two problems with this. First of all, we develop a short memory. If you look back in the first of the chapter, it was not God that asked them to go to uh, to, to the place they went to live. God did not send to Elimelech to go to Moab. God did not ask him to leave Bethlehem, Judah, 
a house of bread, to go to a foreign land full of strangers, uh, who was known for its unwillingness to share and unwillingness to cooperate with its residents. God did not ask them to do that. It was Elimelech. And now, instead of Naomi looking at her husband and saying, maybe my husband wasn't right with God when he made that decision. Maybe it was never God's will for us to depart in the first place. Maybe we've just been placed in this situation because of a bad human's choice. Instead, she points to God and says, it's your fault. Let me say this. I don't mean to offend anybody. As I mentioned, I'm trying to preach this from a level of understanding. But most of the messes we find ourselves in are not God's fault. Most of our problems were not orchestrated by the divine hand of an almighty God. Oh, we talk about God sending us through the valleys, but I'll fully well admit, a lot of my valleys came from ignorant choices on my part. Yeah, it's, it's not always God's fault when we're struggling through something very difficult. No doubt this was a difficult time in her life, but she had developed a very short memory, and instead of pointing the finger at maybe her or, or maybe somebody who made this decision, she points it straight at God. Don't lose faith in God's plan for your life. Amen. Don't lose faith in the goodness of our God. Amen. God is always good. I love when I, always, when, when I hear somebody say, God is good, and they sound back to me all the time. You see, God does not ever turn bad. God does not ever think bad. Even in the most difficult tragedy of your life, God is thinking good for you. This morning I taught the Sunday school, the the teenagers in Sunday school. Oftentimes people picture God as some old man with a beard seated in heaven almost with a whipping rod or a chastising rod. But really our picture of God ought to be a loving father who's trying to encourage his children and trying to help his children along this difficult journey. But we get such a short-term memory. We fail to see the blessings all littering our path from, uh, uh, in the past, and we just focus on how intensely bad the trial is we're facing. We develop a short memory. But secondly, and we're done, we begin to shun compassion in our life. Now, this is the most tremendous indictment of this passage. So far, I believe Naomi's just dealing with a a tremendous amount of hurt and pain. But this is what happens in her life as a result of it. And she said, now, Ruth clave unto her. Well, Orpah turned back, and she went home, and she she returned to everything that she had known. Ruth clave unto her, the Bible says in verse 14. In verse 15... And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Now, here's what happens. She begins to get so focused on her, she loses sight of others. She begins to think that her problem is so much larger than anyone else's May I remind you, Ruth and Orpah both lost their husbands. And if they needed God at any time in their life, it was right now. And instead, her words were, you see, see, Ruth, Orpah's smart. 
Orpah's returning to everything that's ever made her comfortable. She even went back to her old gods. Ruth, why don't you go with her? And she loses sight of any type of bigger picture in her life. Instead of ministering to her daughters. You see, she knew the God of Israel better than anybody. She had lived in Bethlehem, Judah. She had seen God bless. And now the reason she's returning to Bethlehem, Judah, is because she knows the hand of God is at work in Bethlehem once again. And so she says, why don't you just go back to everything you've ever known and I'll try getting to where I know God will bless. And she begins to focus internally instead of externally. Christian, when we begin to get so focused on our tragedy that we cannot see that others may be going through others themselves, we are no longer effective ministers for our Lord. Now your tragedy is no less valid, nor is it no less hurtful than those of those around you. I will, however, say, God has called us to help others along their journey. Right? And if if you lose a loved one, chances are there was other people that loved that loved one. And instead of crawling into our own hole, maybe we need to realize that God can use us in this time to help. Instead of just saying, oh, just return to where you went. Just, just go back to where you came from and, and I'll take care of myself. Instead of saying that, maybe we should say, hey, we will get through this together. Oh, it's not any easier on me than it is on you. I, I'm dying inside, but I know that if, if you join hand in hand with me, we will get through this by God's grace. Here's what's happen, what happens when we begin to focus on our problems and not the problems of others. Now we know how Ruth's story turns out, but it, was, it took a tremendous amount of commitment for Ruth to follow uh, her mother-in-law. To the point where three different times, Naomi says, Ruth, why don't you just go back? And Ruth stuck with her the whole time. And Ruth's story has a happy ending. What about Orpah? Uh, I will present to you what I would imagine happened. It's not in the Bible, so we can only uh, uh, guess as to what may have occurred. We, will, we do know one thing for sure. She probably went home to where she was comfortable. Chances are she moved in with some relatives, grieving the loss of her husband. Maybe she remarried later in life. I'm presenting to you the the most positive solution I can think for her. Maybe she remarried in life. Maybe she wanted to have a beautiful family. She grew comfortable there in Moab where she was. She never really experienced God's hand of blessing because remember, that's in Judah. That's not in Moab. And she lived happily ever after. Let me tell you what I think happened after that. And in hell, she lift up her eyes. And I, I don't mean to shock and awe you, but what I'm saying is, at this point, Naomi, so focused on herself, sent someone back to a false religion. Christian, I'm not asking you to be something more than you're not, because God will never tempt you or ask you to go through something you're not able to handle. But I'm asking that in our tragedy, maybe we can look around and say, hey, instead of me shutting down, maybe I can reach out to someone else. 
It's hard to reach out to people when you're in a dark room. And it's hard to do things you'll regret when you're around people that you know love the Lord. In a very real sense, the best time to reach out for not only help, but to reach out to help others is probably in the middle of our tragedy. It it shows that we're working for the Lord. It shows that we've not given up. It shows that there's a bigger plan and something greater in place. I shared the contents of my message this afternoon with my wife as we're on our way to lunch. And I don't preach this sermon from a place of ignorance or a place where I don't understand what I'm speaking about. Um, My wife is Naomi. There was a time when it was difficult for her to come to church. There was a time when, honestly, I didn't think she was going to make it out. She said today, after I shared what I was going to be preaching on, she said, well, do you want me to preach it instead? (laughs) And I said, yeah, you need to go find your own sermon. (laughs) But after she said that, she said, if we become unwilling to minister for God, what reason do we have to live? And if you, you build your life centered upon your family and your family collapses, and you build your life centered around your occupation and your occupation collapses, if you build your house on a foundation of sand, and that sand gives way, your house comes crashing down. But when your house is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, if your house is built upon loving the Lord and serving the Lord, and that becomes your primary objective, and yeah, we can enjoy peewee football, and yeah, we can go to the ballpark, and yeah, we can enjoy all the things that this life, uh, the very few things this life has to offer us, but if we never lose focus that we in our tragedy cannot become so sidetracked that we focus on only ourselves and lose sight of everyone else and we realize that we are truly the ambassadors for our Lord here in this world, you have reason to live. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how troublesome it is. I don't care how few people you think are on your side. I don't think you even understand what I'm saying because if you have God on your side, you can say God will get me through and I will be a witness for Him of all His many great wonders in my life. You cannot be a witness if you never felt, seen, or heard something. Nobody asks you to go on the witness stand of a murder trial if you do not have some information to give. So one day, you will be on the rear end of a tragedy in your life, and you will look back on that and you'll say, by God's grace, I made it through. And you'll look around and you'll see someone that's facing something very difficult. And you'll know exactly what to say and how to say it. You won't be the person that says, oh, can we do something for you? 
No, you'll, you'll, be the under, you'll be the person that approaches them with a level of understanding. With a level of discretion that is only attained by what you've experienced when you went through your tragedy. And that is when we're the best witness for Jesus. Oh, we can witness when we say to someone who's lost their daughter, I know what you're going through and God will have a path. And that path won't always seem clear. It won't always see, seem evident. You won't always understand what's going on, but God will make a way. Amen. That's just God's nature. Amen. And when you go through your tragedy and you begin to focus on your ministry and what you can offer to others, you have reason to live. You have reason to be the witness God called you to be. Don't remove your beneficial influences. Don't become so sidetracked on your problems that you, that you uh, lose sight of others' problems. Realize that every tragedy you may go through, God does have a plan on the other side. 